It is a monster storm, possibly a once in a lifetime storm. We are hours away from Hurricane Florence making landfall in North Carolina sometime late tonight. The center is swirling closer to Wilmington. Welcome to the WRAL Documentary Podcast. I'm Cliff Baumgartner. This season, we're diving into North Carolina's destructive history with wicked weather. And we're going to start with the most recent chapter in that long story, Hurricane Florence. Sometime, man, you know, <laughs> you got you to gotta pick up, you got to pick up the feet, man, and move, you know. Everyone says, uh, Jeff, Renee, they've done all they can. They are putting what happens with Hurricane Florence in God's hands. Florence was one of the most powerful storms in recent memory, but it had the potential to be even worse. At one point, forecasts predicted Florence would top even legendary superstorm Hazel, which we'll also talk about in a later episode. Thankfully, Florence weakened some before landfall, but that didn't stop it from being a catastrophic and deadly hurricane. It left tears in lives and our state, which are still being patched even as we speak. And the images it left behind are striking, even heartbreaking. But have you ever wondered how those images reach us? These days, news coverage has become so ubiquitous, we don't even think about it. And it's easy to forget there are entire teams of people, like journalists, photographers, engineers, producers, who are working around the clock and against Mother Nature to get the word out and try to keep people safe. This is a story about those people. It's hosted by Pretend Radio's Javier Leva. Take it away, Javier. This is just absolutely intensified in the last few minutes. The rain that's coming in at an angle, it's stinging quite a bit. September 14, 2018. We've seen fiberglass pieces coming off these buildings. You're about to meet some badass journalists. Hurricanes are fun till your underwear get wet, and then it's not fun anymore. <laughs> this one was definitely an underwear soaker because it just rained and rained and rained and would not stop raining. It's 7.15 a.m. The eyewall of Hurricane Florence has just come ashore in Wrightsville Beach near the port city of Wilmington, North Carolina. I can't be out there right now. We have seen big pieces of sheet metal just flying by us. Driving sideways rain. Very windy, very rainy. It was unlike any other storm because it just wouldn't stop. Three days later, North Carolina is still taking a beating. We just keep getting this rain that is relentless. This storm is a monster, 500 miles wide. That's the width of the entire state. And it's just sitting there, crawling, turning counterclockwise, swelled up with more than 100 mile an hour winds. And that wall of water will become a 13-foot storm surge that will swamp cities and towns. As you can see all around me, it is water, water everywhere. Unfortunately, it is moving at a pathetic rate of speed, three miles per hour, and that is going to lead to more relentless heavy rain. You're listening to the WRAL documentary podcast, 75 Hours, the Hurricane Florence story you haven't heard. I'm your host, Javier Leva. WRAL-TV is an NBC affiliate in Raleigh, North Carolina. The station deployed 64 people into the path of Hurricane Florence, broadcasting live for 75 hours over four days. Did you get that? 64 people 
75 hours of coverage. We're going to take you in so you can see the hurricane coverage you've never seen on television. Most of the journalists you're about to meet have done this before. I'm Adam Owens. I've covered six hurricanes. I'm Amanda Lamb. At least two dozen hurricanes. Ed Wilson. At least 10 to 12 hurricanes. Chad Flowers, probably 25 hurricanes. Well, except for one. Brad Johansson, this would be hurricane number one. Brad's rookie hurricane experience includes gunfire. Yes, gunfire. More about that later. Live shots starting at 6 a.m. Martha Jennings is the managing editor. Her job is to position the crews in the right spots. To maintain the safety of 20 crews, you constantly have to be in communication. I'm consistently monitoring the track, seeing where we think it's going to make landfall, what areas are going to be impacted, and where to place crews. New Bern was supposed to be our safe place. We start on day one in New Bern. North Carolina's second oldest city, which sits more than 30 miles from the coast. Reporter Adam Owens. Initially, they wanted us to go to the Crystal Coast area. I'm Adam Owens in Atlantic Beach, where people know But how as the forecast here. became clear, they moved us back for our safety to New Bern, which turned out to be one of the harder hit areas. When the call was made to move back to New Bern, I personally resisted it a little bit because I thought that it would remove us from the story we needed to tell. Photojournalist Mark Stebnicki. I actually mentioned to Adam, should we call our assignment manager and ask if they want us to go further south? Because after doing two and three days of prep stories, you know, you don't want to see carnage, devastation, that sort of thing, but you work yourself up and you want to do a good job covering a very strong storm. So we kind of wanted to be where it was going to hit. If you're a reporter and a storm is coming in, you want to be right there on the beach, on the sand, watching things as they develop. That's where you can really let people know what the storm is doing and when it makes landfall. Little did Adam and Mark know, but New Bern would be exactly the right place to be. The biggest threat here isn't the ocean, it's the river. Two rivers to be more precise. The Noose River is two million years old, one of the oldest in the United States, it's 275 miles long, all of it in North Carolina. In New Bern, the Noose River and the Trent River join. And if a hurricane gets on just the right path, it blows all that ocean storm surge inland. And the rivers in a place like New Bern become a big problem. You start to see in the distance a white capping. That is not the ocean, that is the Noose River. Very quickly, it became apparent that New Bern was one of the centers of this story. And it ended up being one of the hardest hit areas, if not the hardest hit area. This water is really rising quickly. I mean, it is deep. The rate that it rose was just phenomenal. You could see white caps from the river swing sets nearly all the way underwater. Places we had done live shots the day before would be well overhead 24 hours later. The water continues to rise, and that really is a scary thing. We consider where we are in the cycle of this storm. We've yet to see the worst of it. We would do a live shot, maybe a couple of them, and in the time it took us 
to give that update, we had to move our vehicle so it wasn't in the water before we got to the next update. It was changing that fast. This water is rising all the time. As a matter of fact, as we're out here reporting, we constantly leave the place where we are at to drive out toward where we know there's high ground to where we can stay and have shelter just to make sure that option is still available to us. We were constantly getting reports that there was trouble in this area and another area, so we were trying to get to as many places as we could. In one case, it required us crossing a bridge over the Trent River. It's a high bridge, so it's unobstructed. Nothing can stop the wind from moving through there. It's open water. And um, as we were passing over the bridge, we saw this pole, almost like a flagpole, on the side. You could barely see it through the wind and the rain that was pounding the vehicle. I remember telling Mark, I think that's a boat. The mast of this sailboat just hitting against the guardrail on one of the bridges. And we pulled over to the side. I can feel the forerunner kind of rocking back and forth. And you could experience personally how this boat ended up there. It was painful, the amount of rain and the intensity of the rain being blown by the wind as it was hitting us. But when you step out and it's just whoosh, you know, it kind of snapped you into reality. And you saw this boat essentially being dismantled, like banging against the, the supports for the bridge and that long mast sticking up. And we shot some video. We were able to turn that around really fast. And I think it made it real for a lot of people that this was no joke. The condition is deteriorating. I know the sense of urgency you're up against. Get safe right now and get out of there when you can. Mark and I made a plan that if we arrived at an area that was flooded, we wanted to be sure that we had a path out. That meant that you would drive into an area, find a spot where news was happening, then drive back out to make sure you weren't gonna get cut off by flooding. And we had been very successful up to a point when the water was rising at a different rate than we had previously experienced. It was taking us a bit by surprise how quickly it was rising. I remember we did a live shot. We weren't there particularly long. However, when we started to make our way back out, our exit route was flooded over. We probably had four options of ways to leave this neighborhood. So we went to another street that we felt confident about. That was flooded over. And I mean flooded over to the point that we couldn't drive through it. A, B, and C options to get out are all no-goes. I mean, I wasn't gonna go through water that we couldn't see how deep it was. You shouldn't do it ever, but especially at night with no power, don't even chance it. Managing Editor Martha Jennings. As floodwaters came up around them, there was a time where they were very much in danger and we hadn't heard from them for close to 30 minutes to an hour. Immediately, there was a bit of a panic because we've been reporting on people caught in these positions and people being swept away and vehicles being swept away and we understand how that can happen and we were concerned that we would be part of that story. Him and I were getting a little anxious. We were trying to keep our cool, but I think you could tell what the other one was thinking. We were worried that we may be in big trouble. For a little while, we didn't know where we were gonna end up that night. It was just a blackout. There was no power, um, no other news crews, no police that we could see. It was just our car and our headlights. We ultimately did find a way out. Luckily, again, our phones were still working and we found that fourth option that got us out of this neighborhood. We pick up the story on day three with reporter Casey Cunningham and photojournalist Lauren DeSarmel, who are racing down I-95. 
This is Lauren DeSarmo. We got sent to Lumberton with word that 95 North had been completely flooded over. So our assignment then um, was to head to Lumberton and to show 95 being completely flooded out. Reporter Casey Cunningham. That became our sole mission. Get to 95, find out if 95 North is in fact shut down, because if so, that would be pretty much insane. The fact that a major interstate is flooded and people from all over the country can't get through North Carolina to go where they need to go. Lumberton sits in the coastal plain. It's small town America, population about 22,000. One in four people here live in poverty. Money is tight and opportunity to get ahead is scarce. So when disaster strikes, it cuts deep and lasts a long time. The locals call the Lumber River a black water swamp. It's dark chocolate brown in some places and black like oil in others. The river runs 133 miles right through the small town of Lumberton. In 2016, Hurricane Matthew blew in with 60 mile per hour winds and more than a foot of rain. The Lumber River crested at more than 24 feet. That's the highest level in history. They said it was a 100 year flood. Avoid I-95, parts of it are closed due to high water. Two years later, Hurricane Florence is here and it's happening again. We got down there probably around 1 a.m. We found an overpass overlooking the I-95 flooding. Casey Cunningham is right there on the spot and has been all night long. I'm standing over the overpass, blowing like crazy. I mean, the wind was so strong. Hey guys, so sorry, it's really windy out here. We are standing on an overpass here, looking out at a big problem that is I-95 North. Let's just call Lumberton the unluckiest town in North Carolina. I've never seen anything like it. It was just dark and it looked like a straight river. And there were these cars just flying into these floodwaters and it was 95. And there were no police cars, there were no lights, there was no signs, there was nothing. It was about 1 a.m. This is probably how quickly it happened that people couldn't even respond. Cars just flying into this flood water and getting stalled out. And we were standing on this overpass just watching these people like, don't go, don't go any further. Like, stop, stop, and they would just go. 22 inches of rain pushes the Lumber River out of its banks, again, cresting at its new record high. We were standing on that overpass getting blown and things were flying by us and signs were flying over. This entire highway was a river and the wind hadn't stopped and the rain hadn't stopped, it was still pouring rain. The floodwaters were just rising and we were just watching these people just trying to get the word out, like, this road is not passable, don't try and take it. Avoid I-95 North here in Lumberton at all costs. Back to you guys. We wrap up with our live shots probably around 2.30 a.m. We were so relieved, I think, at that point that we had made it, we had accomplished the mission, we were able to tell people what they needed to know. And then it was time to go to the hotel. And we tried to get to our hotel that we have assigned to us. And all of the roads are completely covered in water and we have no way out. We're finally able to go to the hotel when we realize the very road we were just reporting on is preventing us from getting to the hotel. And we're finding ourselves to be in the company of these people that we were just reporting on. 
We had to take a minute and be like, okay, we're trapped. What do we do next? What, what can we do to make sure we're safe and that we're not the ones who need to be rescued? So what we did was, since I-95 North was completely inaccessible, we decided to head south. Photojournalist Lauren DeSarmo is covering her sixth hurricane. You should know, Lauren is one tough lady. She used to work on the reality show Cops. She's been spit on, shot at, and chased by bad guys. And right now, in a car at two o'clock in the morning with reporter Casey Cunningham, she is absolutely terrified. And then we just keep heading south and we look for somewhere where we can post up for the night. There's no hotels available. The wind's picking up, the rain's picking up. There are trees falling down in the road in front of us. I've had, I had to swerve and it's pitch black. You couldn't see anyone. So we pull our news car into a rest stop in South Carolina. There's nowhere else for us to go. So there was a point where Casey and I just looked at each other and we said, this is where we are for the night. We're not going any further. We're just gonna have to make this work. We found a rest stop and had come to the conclusion that this was the only safe place at the moment. The wind is blowing so hard and there are just things swirling around us. There was water that was rising. We kept hearing these loud thumps, realizing that a stop sign was literally being blown over. A metal stop sign, that's how you know how strong this wind was because this metal stop sign was blowing over right next to our car. We pull up next to a rest stop and it's a concrete building so I feel comfortable having the building block. Lauren knew how to position our car under the rest stop and use the rest stop as a barricade from any projectiles coming at us. And we just decided that that's where we were gonna stay for the night and we waited it out. There was nowhere, honestly, for us to go at that point. It was so dark and we realized we had, this was gonna be where we needed to stay for the next couple of hours. Our bosses were, were calling, they were concerned for us, they were checking up on us. Once again, managing editor Martha Jennings. Hearing the fear of what they went through facing that storm in their car at a rest area is something I'll never forget. They kept saying, what can we do to help you? And there was nothing anyone could do. We were already doing everything we could and that was just staying put and just staying off the roads. About 90 miles southeast of Lumberton, we're back to the North Carolina coast. This area is known as the Cape Fear region. These folks have seen plenty of hurricanes, <laughs> but this one is a doozy. We are feeling Florence. We're gonna to continue to be out here throughout the day in the Wilmington area, but again, very dangerous situation. The city of Wilmington is six miles from where the eye came ashore. With a 100 mile an hour wind, more than 30 inches of rain, and a 13 foot storm surge. It's been three days and people here are desperate. There's no power, there's no gas for generators. People are running out of food, including our reporter Brad Johansson and photojournalist Chad Flowers. There was no hot food to be had. The lack of power, the lack of food, the lack of sleep, and then you just amp up into another mode of, I've just gotta get through this next hour. And remember that gunfire I mentioned earlier? We are also seeing incidents of looting along the coast. Brad Johansson. When you get in desperation mode in which hurricane puts everyone in, people change. Brad Johansson and our photojournalist, Chad Flowers, just experienced it firsthand. We had heard there were crews who were aware of this and that it was too dangerous to go in. 
and Chad and I are kind of that personality that when somebody says we're not going, we decided to go. Not sure that we're in a safe spot. Photojournalist, Chad Flowers. Pulled up, and sure enough, as soon as we get near it, I just see people running out with bags and trash bags of stuff just running out of the back of this store. It's Brad. We are shooting the looting right now. The siren is blowing from the security system. It was kind of chaotic. I mean, people were literally just running out with bags and bags and bags of stuff. And within 10 seconds, people just started screaming and cursing and just just loud screaming and then they started running at me and trying to you know act like they were gonna hit me and, and it was just not a pretty scene one man approached him and said i'm going to kill you don't take my picture and then i go running back to the truck and jump in the truck and you know i tell brad when i'm getting in the truck i just had three people tell me they were gonna kill me Chad was able to get back into the van just as we heard a gunshot over our shoulder. It sounded like it was on top of us. It definitely sounded like a shotgun. It was super loud. And at that point, I just said, hold on, we're leaving. And, you know, we threw it in gear and here we went. We got out of it okay. We'll probably do something different the next time. Bottom line, both of you are safe. And we're happy about that. This storm changed the lives of the people of this state and the journalists who covered it. Florence changed me. Reporter Casey Cunningham. Oh yeah, now I'm gonna cry. <laughs> Photojournalist Mark Stebnicki. I don't know that it's all completely sunken in yet. Um, it was definitely, it was probably the most intense assignment I've ever had. I've, I've only been in news seven years, so I know I'm, young compared to a lot of folks that have been here, but I think that one will absolutely stand out as the toughest and most challenging assignment I've had. Photojournalist Lauren DeSarmo. I actually closed down my first home uh, in the Raleigh area, and anyone who's ever uh, bought a house knows that it's a very difficult process. Uh, so I was so thankful uh, that I was able to get that done amidst all this, even more so uh, after seeing all the, the devastation that was caused by the flooding, seeing people lose everything. Uh, I've never been more thankful for a roof over my head. So that is the thing I'm taking away from Florence. It's just pure thankfulness for a roof over my head. Reporter Adam Owens. What we learned from Florence is you don't have to come in at a category three or four monster to hurt a lot of people. You can hang around and continue to beat them up day after day after day. You can sit there and refuse to leave. If you're one of the storms that does that, then you don't have to be a category three or four to hurt people. In North Carolina, Hurricane Florence killed 31 people, broke records for flooding and left billions of dollars in damage. Our hearts are with the thousands of families who will be recovering from the storm for a very long time. There's a companion documentary to this podcast, also called 75 Hours, that takes you behind the scenes in a television station with exclusive videos, more in-depth interviews, and first-person stories from the front lines. 
You can stream it anytime at WRALdocumentary.com. Thanks to the brave television crews everywhere that do the work they do to save lives in times of natural disasters like hurricanes. This podcast was produced by Jay Jennings with amazing contributions from WRAL reporters and photojournalists in the storm. Our writer and executive producer is Shelley Leslie. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the WRAL documentary podcast and share it with a friend. I'm Javier Leva, and you can find my regular podcast at pretendradio.org. Thanks for listening.